Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 297. 297. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I am glad you decided to come here today. So I want to begin by talking about affection for your people. Affection for your people. And I want to talk about the impact that affection for your people, that is, for your children, for your spouse, for your extended family, for your tribe, and so forth, why this is a profound political statement. There's a difference between the uh, secular liberal approach to political theory and the conservative approach to political theory. As uh, uh, Yoram Hazoni points out in his book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery, which I'm going to be uh, reviewing in another episode of the podcast here, he points out that basically secular liberalism is an a priori rationalistic abstract system that you have this abstraction that says that consent is the justifying principle of all political arrangements and that when you have that consent you can reason deductively from that and into all kinds of whatever the political arrangement the people want the conservative approach is more empirical uh, that is you take men and women as they come. And men and women as they come are arranged in families. So this whole thing goes back to social contract theory, where, where people like Locke and Rousseau and Hobbes sort of postulate this hypothetical parliament that never actually met historically. And, and then in this parliament, we uh, seated a certain number of our rights to the state, and this, and we make this arrangement with the state, and then we um, go on our way. That with that social contract being the foundation of our societal construct. But the Christian responds to this by saying, "Wait a minute, we that Parliament never met, and the first uh, representative act that the human race conducted was not in prehistory." or not an abstraction, but rather was the first historical event recorded for us in Genesis, where we, our race, the human race, fell into sin. And we fell into sin because of the sins of a family. So what you had, the, the representatives there representing the human race were Adam, fundamentally, is the federal head of the race, and his wife, Eve. That first family sinned. Eve was deceived first. She gave the fruit to her husband, who undeceived. Or he, he sort of went into it with his eyes open. He brought sin into the world. Now, this is, Adam and Eve in the garden is a historical parliament, not an ahistorical abstraction. Okay, So, the conservative, as opposed to the secular liberal, the conservative is much more comfortable with arrangements like, oh, just take a, a random example where you have um, the idea of women not voting, okay? 
So let's say you had a system where the people decided to elect a new chieftain and every family or clan cast their vote, but there were no women casting their vote because there were no women who were the heads of their tribes or heads of their clans. No women voted. But let's say all the women in those tribes, in those families, were absolutely good with who was representing them. The, the representative said what they wanted. They, they, they represented them accurately. For the secular liberal, it would, be, it would be fundamentally offensive, even if everybody was okay with it. And it's offensive because it would violate the dogma. And the dogma is that we have to get individuals' consent. The, found, the foundational building block of society is the atomistic individual. But the conservative says, no, why isn't, why isn't the building block of society, why isn't it families? Why the individual? Well, there are, there are many things that go into this, and it, there's, um, I'll just, I'll just uh, summarize it this way. The overweening state likes atomized individuals because it's like dumping a bunch of BBs in a big cloth sack and pouring oil in on top of it. Each individual is a greased BB. Each individual is an oiled BB. And the sack has all the structural rigidity of a beanbag chair. You push it in anywhere. A society of atomized individuals is easily manipulated. But families and tribes and townships are molecules, in some cases, complex molecules. And the complex molecules give the whole thing a structural rigidity that the statists don't like. All right, so affection for your people, love for your wife, affection for your children, as opposed to children on the other side of the world, that kind of natural affection is not only okay, but it is an essential building block to every sane human society. Now, of course, it can go wrong. You can love your own people uh, in such a way as to despise or look down on others, or you can love your own people in the way that precludes discipleship of the Lord Jesus, because Jesus says, if unless you hate your father or mother, or children, wife, what, unless you, uh, or in the other gospel, unless you love them, love me more than you love them, you cannot be my disciple. And so, I'm not trying to absolutize this natural affection, but I am trying to praise it. Uh, don't absolutize it, but we do praise it, and we do say it is essential to any kind of healthy society. Always will be God. So, continuing with uh, podcast 297, sometimes the word for a sin is clearly the word for a sin. In other situations, it kind of depends. So, we're studying homartiology, as you know, probably, probably guessed by this point, words representing sins in the Greek New Testament. And so, we come now to the word thea, thea, T-H-E-A, thea, which means goddess. The masculine form is theos, T-H-E-O-S, theos, which means either God or a god. So, theos in Greek can refer to God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, can also refer to Zeus, a god. Now, the only time that the New Testament uses this word in the feminine form is in the book of Acts, uh, in a reference to the idolatry that was being practiced there in Ephesus. 
So that idolatry was sinful enough for me, and so I included the word thea in this list of sins. Being the object of worship, as Diana was, is a sin. Her Greek name was Artemis, and she was the daughter of Jupiter, sister of Apollo. While I've mentioned Jupiter, Jupiter is the Roman name, Zeus is the Greek name, and Jupiter comes from Zeus Pater, uh, Zeus' father. Zeus Pater is Jupiter. Okay, so Artemis is the sister of Apollo, uh, the daughter of Jupiter, and her Roman name was Diana. Her worship was big in Ephesus, and that was a big part of their economy as well. A meteor had fallen there from Jupiter, it was supposed. So this meteor had fallen down from Jupiter, and the devotion showed to her was extreme. So there are three mentions of this word Thea, goddess, Once, and they're all in the same basic section in Acts 19. So, that not only this, our craft, is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess, there she is, the great goddess Thea, Diana, should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So, this was not just a local deity, but all Asia and the whole world worshipped Diana, and would come to Ephesus, stimulating the economy, right? That was verse 27, Acts 19.27. Then in Acts 19.35, a few verses down, And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess, Thea, Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? All right, so this, uh, perhaps this uh, meteor had a certain shape or configuration that made them think of Diana, or maybe they just projected on, onto it. But this, this meteor fell down from heaven, from Jupiter, and everybody knows this, the town clerk says. And then two verses later, For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. That's verse 37. So, what do we have to say? We learn in this passage that Paul had friends who were pagan religious officials, that's in verse 31, in Acts 19.31. So, the riot had broken out. Paul thought that the riot was a preaching opportunity. <laughs> the, mob, you know, the mob goes by his window in the street shouting and uh, yelling and promising mayhem, and Paul saw there an opportunity. Oh, he says, a congregation. When, when Paul was thinking about going, it says that uh, in verse 31, it says, that there were certain pagan officials who were friends. It says they were friends of Paul, and they urged him not to do it. Well, they're not just civic officials. They were also religious officials. They were pagan functionaries. They were, they were pagan religious functionaries, and it says that they were friends of Paul. And we see the, the town clerk was able to tell the crowd that Paul had not been trash-talking the worship of Diana. So, uh, you brought these men, hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. So, P Paul was having the impact on idolatry in this town, this significant city, Ephesus. He wasn't doing a deconstructive takedown of the worship of Diana. He was just preaching Christ and him crucified. He was having people turn to the worship of God through Christ without having to... Um, Trash Talk Diana, which the town clerk was able to say. God, don't never turn.
So for our book review uh, today, I want to review briefly the book that made your world. The book that made your world. And this is by a gent from India, last name of Mangalwadi. Mangalwadi, M-A-N-G-A-L-W-A-D-I, Mangalwadi. Now, this book is sort of a, a, a review of the impact that the Bible has had in shaping our world. And one of the things that Christians have to learn how to do is answer the secularist interloper. What has happened is that the scriptures have had an enormous impact on Western civilization. And there are many things that we simply identify with the West, and then having walked away from Christ, having walked away from our faith, like the prodigal son, after he deserted his father, still had quite a bit of his father's money. So uh, the prodigal son didn't run out of money the first day away from home. He still had a lot of capital. And in the same way, the Western world has an enormous amount of religious capital, an enormous amount of religious capital that is the direct inheritance of Christianity. And someone who comes from a culture that's not shaped by Christianity in in any way is going to have these sorts of things slap them in the face, and they are going to notice, right? So, um, Mangawati tells the story of uh, when he was over here in the States, and he was driving somewhere with his wife, also in, uh, also an Indian. And they heard sirens, and every, all the cars pulled, pulled over, and the ambulance sped by, sirens going. And this guy looked over at his wife and saw that she was crying. And, you know, what? <laughs> so well, they, they pulled over, the ambulance goes by, and he looks at his wife, and she's crying. And he said, what's, what's, what is it? And she said, look at how they love one another, right? Now, what do you mean, love one another? Everybody pulls aside to let the ambulance, somebody's in trouble down the road, and everybody pulls over to let the ambulance go by because that person, whoever they are, two miles down the road, uh, needs that ambulance more than we need to get to whatever appointment we have. Now, I, I can imagine that this practice of pulling over to let the ambulance go by is something that Westerners, who just have grown up with this expectation, would never in a hundred years say something like, oh, look at how they love one another. That that takes a set of outside eyes to see. This is a this is not a thin volume. It's a um, pretty hefty book, but Mangalwadi goes through instance after instance, category after category, where he shows that the Bible made our world. The Western world is the way it is because of the Bible, and our abandonment of the Bible has caused a number of those features uh, to erode, to degrade. There are a number of books um, like this. Another one's called Under the Influence. And there are numerous books that talk about the impact of the Christian faith on Western culture. Uh, This is a good overview. um, Mangawati does a good job. So, The Book That Made Your World, Mangawati.